This podcast is shareable. Shareable is the podcast fueled entirely by curiosity. Every episode features exciting guests who share valuable advice and insights, how-to guides, and practical takeaways. Join me as I explore the awe-inspiring stories about overcoming the odds, the secret formulas that gave each guest their unique superpower, and the moments that remind us of our shared humanity. Get ready to be excited, delighted, and possibly even astonished, because this podcast is shareable. Today on Shareable, I am excited to share this conversation with my guest, Tim Lupinacci. For my listeners who are not familiar with you, Tim, what are a few of the most important things for someone to know about you? Uh, well, Jeff, it's, I appreciate just the opportunity to talk with you. Um, I am originally from Philadelphia, uh, as we just yeah, talked yeah. about, but uh, yeah, <laughs> um, but I live in Alabama right now. I've been a, a practicing lawyer for 33 years. The last four, however, I've been leading our law firm, which is about 1,200 people around the Southeast and Mid-Atlantic states. Uh, I lived in Mexico growing up. My daughter's 24. She's getting married next February. Cool. Congrats. Uh, and, um, yeah. And uh, uh, so my wife and daughter and I are just looking forward to all that that uh, comes to play in the next six or eight months as she gets uh, prepared for getting uh, married. So Very cool. Very cool. Well, I'm glad to have you on the show. Um, when we were uh, introduced and I looked into you, I was like, oh, man, uh, we have so much uh, shared interests um, and so many things that we could talk about. So there's a lot of places I want to go with this conversation, but I like to start out with a really big question for my guests, which is what is the dent you wish to make in the universe? Why are you here? What are you here for? What do you want to leave behind? Yeah. Uh, so that's a great question, Jeff. I'm, I'm actually um, in the middle of trying to live that out. I really, uh, I've always had this passion to want to change the world. And then at some point I realized, well, I may not be able to you know, change the capital W world, but that uh, I could change this lowercase W world where I live. And so um, uh, some of that really then is boiled down the last couple of years and really wanting to help folks to see that they are uh, leaders. Everybody is a leader and you have the ability to dent the universe, no matter what your title is, no matter where you come from, no matter what your background is. Um, and so I guess my, my um, uh, passion to try to dent the universe is really this idea of helping others to uh, see their potential and their, their, their potential to, to go do that themselves. And that maybe is what I want to hope to give back. Amazing. And that is uh, is one of the biggest reasons why I was excited to have you on the show. Uh, so I wrote my book, The Lovable Leader, and I talk about the idea that leadership is a mindset. Leadership is not yeah. a title. Uh, and it's something that it's a mindset and it's a practice. It's a way of being in the world. And I actually have a follow-up book that I've been muddling around with working on called uh, something like Rise of the Rebels or To the Rebellion, but it's the R, the B, and the L are the key part of that, which is role-based leaders, which is that we all have scenarios in which we have the ability to step up and become leaders. Um, and I, I got the concepts from uh, a friend of mine who, he was in a band, uh, my friend Alex, and he was telling me about how in his band, they're all leaders in different ways. So when it comes to the equipment and the the tuning of the equipment and making sure we have the right equipment, all that, my friend Alex is the leader. He's the technical guy. He understands all of the equipment, how it works together. But when it comes to getting gigs and meeting with bar owners and things like that, their lead singer, he's the charismatic one. He's the one that connects and is able. So he shows leadership in one way and the other band members show leadership in their own way. So we all have these abilities to like 
lean into a role that suits us where we can exhibit leadership. Um, so I'm super jazzed to talk to you about it. I know you wrote yeah. that you're a leadership junkie. So I want to really go uh, deep down that rabbit hole with you. Um, can I start with your origin story though? Because you said you, you know, you grew up in Philly and I don't want to, you know, we don't have to go back too far into your childhood, but I'm, I'm yeah. curious how we arrived at the point where, you know, um, you know, you became a lawyer. That's one part of it, but you found this passion in leadership. And I'm actually curious if you could trace the roots back of where that story began and how that, how we arrived here. What's the origin right. story of the obsession, the junk, the leadership junkie site? Yeah. Well, I think some of it really started with what I now could put words to. I didn't probably understand it fully at the time as a kid, but my dad was someone who was always very curious. Um, he had graduated from Penn State uh, in engineering, decided he didn't like that uh, profession so much, did a bunch of odd jobs, ended up managing a Sears store in South New Jersey. But then he decided his real calling was to be a doctor. So he went to night classes at Rutgers, got all the prerequisites, and then he said he wanted to go look uh, around the world for international schools that were accredited, went to Guadalajara, Mexico, he did med school then been practicing medicine, and then ultimately decided he really wanted to learn more about faith. So he went and got a divinity degree. He just was always curious. And I think that, uh, and, and really open, even like while we're in, living in a different culture, let's explore it. You know, let's not just <laughs> go to school, get back to the States whenever there's a break. So I think that that curiosity just was something that was embedded in me. Um, and then um, as a young lawyer, I was one or two years out from law school, and I had a mentor and leader, uh, the lawyer that I was working for, very gruff, very um, could have a very short temper. Uh, and I really looked at I didn't I didn't have any background to know what the law business was. I kind of wandered into that profession, which is another story about why. I mean, obviously, I had to work hard to get to there to get the degree, but it was not my life ambition. And I didn't know any lawyers in my family. Uh, and so I viewed it as a very transactional type role that I was in. I um. Uh, I would get a project, I would do it, I turned it back in, and then I'd go on to the next project. And um, I was involved in a very large project with this really tough boss, had a more senior lawyer to me working on it. And I viewed it again, transactional, I'm going to get my piece of it done, give it to the senior associate, senior young lawyer, and then he was going to turn it in and be done with it. Well, we both got called into his office with him yelling at us about how we had messed up the project. And he had a bunch of other folks on the on the phone, other lawyers, and he called us idiots. I don't advise that as a good leadership uh, to, you know, approach. But nonetheless, it was like, oh my gosh, am I going to have a job you know, after this? And he said, these, these guys are going to spend the night, get it fixed. So we did. We got it fixed. And I drew the short straw to have to drive him to court the next morning um, for this hearing that we were preparing all this stuff for. Um, and after a, a long silence, uncomfortable silence, he apologized for yelling at us in front of others, which that was something that I I remembered because I thought, well, that's a good thing. I'd be able to apologize when you make a mistake. Um, but then he said the reason he was so frustrated, particularly with me, is that he saw that I was a leader, someone who could really thrive in this profession, someone that he could trust to take ownership of a project. Um, and I'd never thought of myself in those terms as a leader. And so that made me think, well, I got to get better at this. I mean, if I'm a leader and my boss thinks I'm a leader, I need to get better at it. That, that's kind of probably some of the origin, maybe why that resonated so much, but that was a real life thing also that then made me say, I got to get better at this because I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't think I knew what I was doing. It's interesting because, you know, on the one hand, it's a, you know, a lot of people have work trauma that they can look back on being yelled at, being embarrassed, right. being shamed. And sometimes you come out of it and uh, it makes you stronger. Sometimes it actually is something that you carry with you and it becomes a, a pattern or something that challenging. It's interesting though, because I, when you started the story, it sounded like it was going to be 
that this guy was an example of everything you shouldn't do, but it also sounded like there were some positive lessons in there. And I'm curious what you took away from that experience overall. Um, you know, you said you took away the one thing about apologizing when you're wrong, but I'm curious if you look back on that as a positive experience, as a negative experience, as someone that you look to and say, I don't want to be like that, or as someone that you look to and you say, maybe it's a mixed bag. Like, how do you look back on that experience as it's, yeah. as it's shaped who you are now? And by the way, how old were you back then? Was that in your twenties? I, I was in my twenties. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that makes yeah. sense. Okay. So, so tell me about that. How did that, how did that kind of shape you? Yeah, it's really fascinating because then once I uh, I got I took his feedback and I, I you know tried to embody it and I, like I said tried to learn and get better and really approach that with ownership, it, it sort of switched a little bit in his mind. He became very loyal to me once he saw that I was you know willing to do what it took to try to get better and to, and to try to step up. Um, and so it really built this uh, mentor sponsor type relationship with him over the years. He still, I did take away things that I saw. I really don't want to do that as a leader um, because I still didn't think it was the, the best approach to drive motivation and engagement. Um, but I learned from it and, and um, really felt like he became a, a, not a friend, but he became somebody that spoke into my life a good bit. Um, and I was very honored when he passed away. His family asked me to speak at his funeral um, just because that they had said I'd impacted him. So it was almost became like we were rubbing off on each other a little bit. Um, but but again, I listened to the advice and the feedback when I had a lot to learn. And I think uh, so I think of it, I think of it now very positively. So something I'm picking up on there that I think we don't discuss enough in the world of leadership. So if you're a leadership junkie, as I am, you've read a lot of books on leadership. You probably hear a lot of the same sorts of perspectives yeah. and they're all, uh, and a lot of them are often uh, speaking from a certain type of position leading other teams. But what it sounded like there is that you also had an experience of leading upward, that there mm -hmm. was this opportunity for you, not just to show leadership, you know, self-starting leadership or leading others that are, that are kind of under you in the org chart, but also that there was an opportunity for you to sort of lead upward, to help set expectations, do things like that. I'm curious as you look into the work you're doing now in leadership, um, how much do you, um, how much do you touch on leading in non-traditional, you know, top-down sort of methods? And and is there anything you learned from the experience that kind of got you started on that path that you kind of still carry to this day when you were leading upwards with that gentleman? Yeah, uh, no, that's a really great question, Jeff. Because I think I think I agree that we don't talk enough about that. And um, uh, I mean, there's a lot of tools you can do, like you know. 360 surveys, but getting feedback coming up. But I, I just like, I think it goes back to that inquisitive and uh, I want to hear other perspectives. Um, and so when, I mean, the, my first town hall, when I was selected as the next CEO and my predecessor had been doing it for 20 years uh, and I knew a lot of people around the firm, but not everyone. So I really came into that town hall and said, I wanted to get your feet. I wanted to hear from everyone, hear their feedback uh, and really listen to them. And so then I put some, you know, bones behind that um, or action behind it where I went to every office. We have 22 offices, sat in town hall meetings, regardless of title. I mean, I met with the shareholders, the owners of the firm, but I met with business professionals and staff um, and really took notes because I really wanted to try to get better. Um, and I know they were, like I said, in the trenches every day trying to serve our clients. And there were things that were getting in their way and obstacles and things that maybe others hadn't focused on. And so I listened, took notes, but then also acted on some things that they said, not everything, because everyone, I mean, obviously, I figure out what's best for the organization. But I did hear subsequently that that really built some buy-in from folks when they said, well, we we understand that, like, you've got the top title, regard whatever, 
but you heard what I had to say and then you may, took some action about it. So I think it is critical um, for leaders to do that and to be intentional about it. And so to this day, I still say, you know, send me an email, call me. I may not be able to get back to you right away. And I know for many organizations, the CEO is saying that, you know, you can get overwhelmed with calls and feedback, but I think people are pretty respectful because they're, and and, and I think we've gotten better as a firm about it. So I don't know if that fully answers the question, but that's some, just some tips about uh, practically have done. Yeah. <clears throat> One of the things I'm, I'm hearing from you though, is that you, you kind of create the space for people yeah. to give that feedback and you invite you, you invited it early on and um, you know, hopefully um, hopefully people do feel like they're able to reach out to you. And that's the reason why that the volume is reasonable is they're respecting or whatever, you know, and right, not out right. of like fear that, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. But, um, I guess where, where I wanted to go with that is, you know, the, the part about leading upward, I guess what I'm trying to get to is looking at what your leadership philosophy is. You know, when we, when we look at the world of leadership, there's like a lot of different styles, right? And there's a lot right. of different people that are that are kind of coming up with their own styles. I I coined my own lovable leadership, right? Yeah. So I have like a particular leadership philosophy of my own. And when I'm looking at your origin story, I'm looking at how you're talking about leading upward and, and the things that you've done when you moved into the role. I'm curious if you could distill how you think about leadership. Like what is your underlying philosophy that drives you as a leader? Because I think every leader at their core has something that they're after. There's something that's driving them. Either it's out of trauma or it's out of, uh, you know, ambition or it's out of something. But like, where where do you think your drive to lead comes from? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think my first reaction is um, it's, it's really our people. I mean, we've got some big, uh, we've launched a big strategic vision, have some ambitious financial goals. But to me, the getting those goals accomplished are so that we can better help uh, our, our individuals uh, in our firm, uh, get you know paid market pay and be able to help serve our clients. Uh, and so, a lot of what drives me is how can I help individuals in the firm see that they've got a pathway that this isn't just a you know nine to five uh, deal, but it's like a pathway to what they want to accomplish. Some of it may be moving up in the org chart. Some of it may just be some extra um, you know uh, training, some skill building. Um, so, so some, to have a pathway and also to try to connect some purpose to what we're doing. I mean, in one sense, uh, particularly in professional service firms, it's a lot about billing hours and, and things like that. But to show that the work we're doing really does impact these clients who are impacting the world and see their piece and part of it um, is something that's been um, you know, very important. So that's really why, like when I get up in the morning, it's about how can I help our people better serve our clients, but do it in a way that it's driving their fulfillment and engagement. Um, but the uh, interesting pause I had when you we also tied to that question back to origin, because it was an instance. And it's interesting because my dad, who's now passed away uh, about 13 years ago, he was, uh, you know, I, he, as I said, he was a doctor and I'd hear for years. I still have people run into me and say, what a great doctor he was. He was someone I felt like he listened to me, very affirming. And I felt that as a child growing up. I mean, he was affirming and I thought he was really good upbringing. But the one time that still sticks in my mind is it was like sixth grade and my one year of playing football, right? Peewee football or whatever sixth grade football is. Um, and I was a pretty big kid. So they had me like on the offensive and defensive line. But I happened to be the third string quarterback. I mean, running back. I guess it was like the fullback to go barrel through people because I was so big. And, um, you know, they had a game and uh, they finally called me in and said, hey, you know, you're going to go in and it's a sweep left and they toss the ball and I have the ball coming to me. I have glory. I see the, the, the you know, end zone and I fumbled it. Other team recovered it. 
And um, and that's the last time I did a fullback. Uh, but that game also was pretty visible because it was raining and cold. And it was just the whole thing was just not good. And we're walking back to the car and we got beat all over the field. And my dad made a comment about uh, saying, and I attributed to Vince Lombardi. I'm not sure Vince Lombardi ever said this, but it said, you know, quitters never win. And so I think there is some seed of me that's always been this. I've got to go achieve and accomplish and get things done and help, you know, because I just have that. And he, like I said, it was so out of character for him to say that. But it's interesting how our words can impact others. That's a good lesson for all of us. It's a good reminder to me. So <laughs> absolutely. And it's it's funny how when you look back on some of the things that our parents say, sometimes um, they say things that sound good or feel good. And then you see in that that sometimes there's sort of like a dangerous edge to that, right? Like, because sometimes you do have to quit things to go and do something else, right? right but in the other right. sense, there's like this sort of like pushing you and and encouraging you to move forward and, and overcome obstacles. So it's like, it's it's such a double-edged sword, but it does shape who we are and who we become. Um, yeah. So you're an attorney and I, I'm, I'm going to just let my own subjective experience color this, but so my ex-wife was an attorney. I have a bunch of friends who are attorneys and I've been in law environments, big firms and small firms. And there is a very competitive environment, especially amongst litigators and there is um, a culture that kind of mirrors what you described about a lot of yelling or potentially aggressive behavior, like working long hours. So it's it's a it can be a hostile sort of environment, and um, and to your point, it can also be very transactional. Like it's a it's a sometimes, yeah. especially um, still now, but more so in the past, uh, a very lucrative job if you put in the hours right. So right. Right. how do you? create leaders under those circumstances when what you have is sometimes very hostile, very competitive work environments. And this doesn't just apply to legal. So if you're listening and like, you're like, well, I'm not a lawyer. This doesn't, there are a lot of work environments that are very hostile, very competitive, uh, either with your competition or internally. And I think that those are environments that make it very difficult sometimes to foster what I believe are the traits that, that bring out uh, leadership in people. And one of the things that you have shown a passion for and you talk about is letting people know that they can be leaders anywhere that, you know, whether you're in yeah. an underserved community or whether you're in, you know, the, the C-suite of a big law firm, there's opportunities for leadership. So I'm, I'm interested to know, you talked a bit about uh, making sure people have what they need. They're paid well, they have leadership, you know, training opportunities, yeah. but what exactly is your process? What is your starting point for creating a culture that creates and churns out leaders either in spite of that competitive and and sometimes toxic environment that emerges in in the world of law firms or how do you counter that culture from even uh taking seeds and and, and sprouting and instead becoming a place where you can create leaders that thrive yeah uh no it's a great question because i'll add another thing onto the uh, you know generalizations about law firms but it's also a very flat organization um you know i've got 250 shareholders, equity shareholders. And in some sense, they're the, all the owners of the firm. And, you know, I'm just, I'm at, I serve at their whimsy, you know? And so like, I've got, I can't like say, Oh, somebody else has to deal with that. Right. And of course they're all the smartest people in the room. I mean, I love uh, shareholders, really incredible people, but it is, it's, it's a dynamic. I, I, I've learned a couple of things I would say. And again, it, I think some of this, if depending on where your organization is, cause you're right, there are organizations where, um, uh, there are, it's really toxic in, in a difficult work environment. Uh, and I guess to some extent, you just have to start with yourself. But I think um, uh, one is building relationships. I really work hard um, to try to spend a lot of one-on-one -on -one time or even small group 
over meals. I like to call it like dinner table diplomacy, like just because like Churchill used to do, just because people put down their hair a little bit, so to speak. And and, and you can get more personal and really understanding. I have some colleagues who they're they get most jazzed about driving new business to the firm and they don't need an admin task of leading a group doing that. I need to empower them and, and, and facilitate resource them to go out and develop more business. I've got others who they really like leadership and they like leading others and they really see a vision for how a team can, can grow and thrive. And I try to put a framework around whatever their vision is. And again, it's not every situation, but you try to figure out the ones who really um, have that leadership passion and try to give them some opportunities to shine in that. So some of it is the relationship. I think it's authenticity too. I mean, I'm, uh, I know our, we, our COO and I both have this uh, sort of mantra about we're trying to do the next right thing. Um, we want to treat people fairly. We want to do the right thing. And that means um, some of the some of the right things are very hard discussions, but you also can't. Um, we try to readdress our individuals who will facilitate a toxic relationship, those who are behaving badly, as I said it. And again, we're not utopia. <laughs> you know, we're not all walking around singing stuff, but but we've had um, some of our highest performing uh, folks developing business that just um, their approach, the way that they've burnt bridges and burnt uh, the environment around them, the culture around their team. We've had to ask some folks to leave and work through it, you know, um, uh, together with them and make it, you know, respectful and all of that. And it's hard when you like the revenue that's coming in, but we've tried to live that out and we're not perfect in it. But um, but I think building the relationships, authenticity are a couple things. And again, uh, it's a little bit easier. I'm at the top, so I can try to live it out and do it. But even if you're in a relationship where maybe you don't, a firm or a company where you don't have that title, I think you just try to do the best you can with the people around you. And then maybe it can um, spread out. Um, I don't know. Those are just some thoughts I had about that. Yeah, no. And and one thing that I think comes through really loud and clear um, in the way you're speaking about it is that there's a humility about the way yeah. you're talking about it. There's, yeah. there's a humbleness of like, we're not going to get it all right. you know. And, yeah. and I think that's something that a lot of um, leadership um, like a lot of leadership books, a lot of leadership methodologies, a lot of ship leadership gurus, a lot of people that are out that the work, the, the industry of leadership, um, has a bit of a highfalutin sort of, um, you know, leading to the promised land sort of thing right. where everything always works out. And there's not a lot of discussion about how often things don't go wrong or, or, right. and, and one of the things that made me think of this is you pointed out that sometimes you have to ask people to leave, but that you do it respectfully. You try to do it in a way that's kind yeah. in the way that you let them go. And I think that is such a hallmark trait of great leadership is that even when things don't go well, you can still exhibit the type of leadership you want to show when things do go well. And, and I think that's such an important call out of the way that you're talking about these things. I want to know a little bit about, um, as we just explore more about your leadership philosophy and the way that you encourage leadership at your firm and, and in the other activities that you do. Um, and actually, and as we, as I ask this next question, if you could also take it out into some of the other activities that you do outside of the firm with leadership, I think yeah. that would also be useful for, uh, for me and for the listeners. But, um, you mentioned framework before, and I'm, I'm interested to hear of some experiences you've had where you've seen a transformation in someone. And if you could kind of break down that scenario, think of a scenario where you had someone who you either saw leadership potential in, maybe you saw someone who was in, headed in the wrong direction, you want to turn it around. And, and through working with them in some way, you saw a transformation. And I'm curious if you could break down the framework, the process that you go through in order to help transform someone or create the conditions where someone is able to transform into a leader. 
um, and, and what that might mean for them. So if you could break that down, that would be interesting to hear how you would approach these things. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And a person who came immediately to mind, I was, um, we had a six month transition before I became the official CEO. And one of our lawyers in our Nashville office, who I'd never met before, just reached out. I was going to be in town and said, hey, could we grab lunch? And I went and had lunch with him and um, got to hear a little bit about his story. And he had been someone who had had a lot of ups and downs in developing business and his compensation had gone up and down. And he was kind of a little bit stuck uh, in the sense of, um, you know, he said, I don't really know what I want to do, how I can drive more business. Um, he said there's, you know, felt like there was a lot of bureaucracy around the firm. And so we we're just getting to know each other a little bit. Um, but he had said that uh, his existing group leader had challenged him to try to get to a million dollar uh, revenue that year of, of his book of business, which he had not done in a long time. And he said that had inspired him. So I could tell he liked having like a little bit of a challenge and someone, you know, who spoke into him and like, I believe in you, uh, you know, you can accomplish this. So this was sometime around November, December, and our fiscal year ends January 31st. Well, February 1st, he emails me and says, hey, I just want to let you know I hit the million dollars. Well, February 3rd, he emails me and said, this is ludicrous. I just got fined by the firm. And again, I wasn't in the title yet, uh, in the role yet. And we had had this um, uh, a, a, a fine system that if you didn't bill a certain amount of hours, you would get fined. And the whole idea being that you were, you know, we're all in this together, all the shareholders in it together. Um, and if whatever reason you had a slow year, you should help pitch into the pot for others. Well, he was someone who had develop business, but he hadn't done the work to get the billable hours to the number himself, but that's not his ties and best use. And so um, I actually, you know, I've reached out and talked to my predecessor and we said, I said, I just want to pay that back and say, you know, um, gentlemen, (laughs) uh, I'm going to give you back that, that fine, because I believe in you. And I believe that you can get to a million and a half dollars this year. I mean, I just started doing that. Um, And, and he says to this day, I had called with him on Friday that my belief in him that um, that he was going to you know perform and and get the billable hours up, which is that's a component of what we need him to do. Um, I just saw anyway. I spoke into him, right? I spoke into the belief, and so now he's one of our top five producers, multiple millions of dollars a year. And it's not because the framework I've helped give him is as it grew. I said, you know, Clarence, Clarence, you have to um, build out your team. You have to trust lieutenants. You can't do it all. You'll kill you. And, and so we just help resource and give him support um, and just continuing to say, I think our next goal, if he hits this next level, I'm going to fly he and his wife to um, uh, South Florida where he likes and go to dinner with him, you know, and that's, that doesn't cost hundreds of bucks, right? Cause I got miles on points and everything. But um, so I don't know that that's just something where I understood he'd like to be encouraged um, and to have goals out there and then to reward him when he does it. Um, but the first thing he needed to know, I, he needed to know I believed in him. So those are some, that's some things that we've framed up for him. That's just one example, I guess. Um, yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, I want to ask you one more question about leadership yeah. before I pivot, but, um, you know, you've, you've mentioned a lot of different things and I, I see your commitment to it and I see the way you talk about these things and, um, and, and the desire to motivate and inspire and believe in people. What's the hardest part about leadership for you? What's the thing you're most challenged by that you still struggle with despite everything? Well, I mean, I'll be honest. I still struggle a little bit with imposter syndrome. Like I get that voice that says, you know, when are they going to figure out you really don't know what you're doing? Because <laughs> we've had some success in building it lately, you know, the last several years. Um, so I think there's some of that voice in your head that can just um, second guess things. Um, and then it gets exacerbated. Uh, you know, obviously 
every any organization, you have individuals that ultimately self-select out. I mean, you're we're launching a new vision. Maybe they determine that's not what they want to go. Um, but I still kind of internalize when someone leaves about, you know, what could I have done differently, which goes back to the voices in the head. So that that's something that, uh, you know, I really work on. Um, and Where, to, what does know, that to, lead to for yeah. you? So if if you have that feeling when you're trying to inspire people, you're trying to course correct, deal with conflict, set goals, set strategy. Wh- where do you think that most shows up for you that the underlying, I guess, uh, imposter syndrome or, or, or self-doubting voices that you hear? Where does that most show up and cause you challenges? You know, I think it, it's just um, if uh, it's in those in, interim setbacks or like I said, someone leaving or someone questioning something. Um, I mean, there's a part of it. I want to hear feedback, like I said, and maybe we do need to pivot and we need to admit a mistake. But I think it's normally um, uh, and and it's normally in that I want everyone to like me kind of concept, even though that's not what this role is. And that's not what leadership is, although you yep. want to have people respect you and and you do want to have a, a relationship that, I mean, people enjoy being together. Um, but I think that's where it shows up mostly um, for me. And and then I try to, you know, have another soundtrack. John Acuff has a good book out called Soundtracks, where you just I got to play a soundtrack about, well, no you know, they're choosing this because of certain things and what they're trying to accomplish. It doesn't jive with what we are and we know where we're heading and, you know, we have some success. So I just, you just have to change the soundtrack in your head, I guess. I dig it. Change the soundtrack. That's it. That's it. It might be the episode title. Um, (laughs) All right. So before I ask you the shareables, uh, just a couple, couple things where, you know, sharing things that you recommend, sort of like how we share things on social media, before we get to that, if you had to sum up what you think the clear takeaway of everything we've talked about so far is what's the one clear takeaway you think everyone should walk away from this episode with that they should take one message from the things that you're saying. Yeah. I, one th- I hope you take away the fact that no matter where you're positioned in an organization or a company that, you know, you're a leader, uh, you are a leader uh, and that you can impact things for the good. Um, and it's going to, it might be just if you're a, you know, a receptionist at a law office, I know some, most people are remote now, but I mean, we still have receptionists. You can own that space and you can help drive and lead everything that happens in that area. So I think the first thing is just the main thing is just to realize you are a leader and then how are you going to get better at it every day, no matter what, you know, whether you have a title, whether you don't, how can you be a like, which your, your concept, Jeff, about being a lovable leader? How can you in whatever role title you have with or no title, just, you know, really shine in leadership. So that's the big thing to me um, that we can all get better at every day. Love it. Love it. All right. So I want to ask you a couple of shareables now, uh, yeah. which are, uh, you know, a couple of things. It, it, again, it's like what you do on social media. We share things like, oh, yeah. I just read this great book. I just watched this great show. So I'm going to ask you just four quick, uh, quick shareable questions and uh, just get your take on it. So first is what's something you've read that you'd recommend that everyone read? Um, yeah, a great question. So uh, we, as I mentioned, we launched a, a five-year strategic vision last year. Uh, and as I was coming and, and it launched great, but as I was coming into year two, I really was thinking about, we're almost in the in-between phase, right? Like, you know, launch is exciting, finishing it's exciting, but now we're kind of in the in-between. And I, I, I ran into a book called uh, Get It Done by an author named Aylet uh, Fishback. Uh, and the subtitle is Sub- Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation. And she has a whole chapter in there about leading in the middle meaning the middle of a vision. And I thought that was really helpful about um, just making sure you're building in um, milestones and enthusiasm as you had when you launched the vision or as you're getting closer to the end of it. So just about getting things done and getting others to help, I thought that was a really good resource. 
Solid. Uh, what's something that you've listened to that you would recommend? This could be music. It could be audiobook. It could be any, it could be even a video that you just didn't watch and you just listened to, but what's something that you think everyone should listen to? Yeah, I, I, I love music. So I was tempted, I'm tempted to go with music, but I guess this crosses. You people do. I know. Well, this is an audiobook that I guess picks up some of it. Rick Rubin, who is a famous, uh, uh, you know, producer, music producer, like Beastie Boys and Run DMC and Johnny Cash, Metallica. He's kind of like launched a lot of careers. He has a book out called The Creative Act, and he did the audio book for that. Uh, and it's really fascinating. I thought it helped me as a leader just to make sure that I'm I'm thinking creatively and innovatively in what I'm doing. And so I really thought that was a really good listen <laughs> to the book. So. That's fantastic. I'm going to add that to my list. I am uh, an avid audiobook reader, uh, listener, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I'm a, a huge fan there. Um, okay. What's something that you've watched that you would recommend that everyone watch? Yeah, this may be out of left field. I, like I said, I really like creativity and, and I like, um, I get moved by art, um, particularly art that's not just rote, that it's kind of a unique thing. And so I'm still thinking about that movie that I guess won Best Picture this year, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Um, it's a little, really, it's just a, you know, not initially for a leadership perspective, but I love how they tell a story. There's a storyline through this fantastical journey and you kind of don't really know where they're getting into the end, but it really boils down to a mother daughter relationship and a husband wife relationship. So I really just liked the creativity of it and the through line that it really all comes back to relationships. So. I, uh, I want to double underscore bold that highlight it and put exclamation points about it. Everything everywhere all at once is my favorite movie of all time. Um, I cry every time I watch it. Um, it is such a phenomenal film on every possible level. I yeah. could not endorse that selection highly enough. And that, and I'm putting it above <clears throat> some pretty outstanding films and Spider-Man films as well, which oh, yeah, in some cases right. can also be amazing. <clears throat> so, <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, I'm glad, yeah. yeah, yeah, great, great choice. Um, final question is: What's something that you've learned that you'd like to share? Typically, what I'm looking for here is less so much like maybe life lessons or you know things that that you've acquired as wisdom, but more like something interesting that you Googled one day that you didn't know. Just oh wow, that's interesting. Mm. That's it. Yeah, that um, that's a really good. Well. I'm really, I'm really, I feel like the universe has been pounding me with this whole idea about quitting things. So it's not necessarily, you know, about um, uh, just because um, we had uh, that author, Daniel Pink spoke at our shareholder retreat recently. And he talked about the importance of psych is from, even from a psychological perspective of creating a to don't list. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, uh, and so I think that idea of are what is things I can take off my list that aren't my highest and best priorities. And I guess where I did Google it, so this will go to your point, um, and I stumbled into uh, Annie Duke, who is a poker player. She's actually got a book out called Quit that I'll, I'll have to, uh, I've not read it yet, but it got me into this whole idea about how the great poker players, you know, they're throwing in their cards more often than they're playing their hands. And that becomes a very natural thing. Whereas for leaders, I think we just want to keep adding stuff on. We're going to, you know, to have transformation, we got to add stuff to our plate, right? So, um, so I guess that's something that there's some psychology around quitting. Um, that's probably a good thing for all of us. Yeah, I dig that. I um, it's it's a lesson that I take to heart every six months or so because uh, I expand. I take on more, take on more, take on yeah. more, and then I get to a point where I'm like, I have too much, so I have to cut things. So I have this kind of expansion and contraction uh, loop that I'm on, and I'm currently going through one where I have to feel like I have to trim some things because I have too much. So yeah. I feel that one. That's a good lesson. <laughs> um, all right, so 
where can people get in touch with you? Where can they find you leading the way where they connect with you on social website, email, whatever, whatever. And this is your shameless self-promotion part of the show. <laughs> Let people know where they can connect with you and find you leading the way. Well, that's great. Uh, well, I'm, I'm the firm I'm the CEO of is Baker Donaldson. So B-A-K-E-R-D-O-N-E-L-S-O-N.com. You can find me there. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also um, starting um, building a nonprofit called Everybody Leads, trying to bring lead basic leadership lessons into the uh, underserved communities. Uh, and so I've got a website that's going to launch any day now uh, called everybodyleads.org. And there's some content on there, some videos. There'll be some training manuals to help um, individuals, uh, in that, in that setting, like uh, get some basic leadership skills. So those would be a couple of great ways to, to find me. Excellent. And I'll make sure we put that all in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for all of that. Uh, final question, final piece of the, uh, episode here on shareable together is I like to close out the episodes with gratitude and the way that we do gratitude here on my show is, uh, in, in the spirit of my book, the lovable leader, which when I say lovable leader to people, I found that even before the book came out, that term really resonated with people. It made them conjure up an image in their head. So first I'd like, when I say lovable leader, I'd like you to think of someone in your life and I'm going to describe what that person's like a lovable leader from your life is someone who genuinely cared about you as they led you you could tell that there was an actual real element of care there and you trusted this person and you could also sense that they probably trusted you there was a mutual sense of trust trust was really incredibly present in the relationship and then the third part of it is that they provided safety for you they made you feel safe to pursue big goals big ambitions they might have pushed you encouraged you kind of filled you up with that belief but they made you feel that it was safe for you to go and pursue that goal so I want you to think of that person. And as long as you have them in your head, what I do next is I mute myself and I'm no longer here. And I want you to speak directly to them. They can be with us. They can have passed on. It's completely up to you, but this is your time to speak directly to them. You can just say, thanks. You can say as much as you want. It is your time to express genuine gratitude to a lovable leader from your life. Right. Well, um, I would uh, say Randy Smith, um, as you recently passed away a few months ago that, uh, Going back 34 years, I was a law student, didn't know what I was doing in the whole idea of law. And I, we met and you let me clerk for you um, at, at your law firm, a sole practitioner. And you taught me um, how to be a lawyer. Uh, and then you continue to pour into my life as I got married, as we adopted our daughter. Um, and um, uh, whenever I've, I had made some pretty big mistakes in my life, you were a place I could go up and we'd go get lunch and you would just affirm me. And um uh, tell me uh, how I um, could keep pressing forward. And you always, always believed in me. You kept talking about how I um, could just uh, uh, write that book that I've always wanted to write that I'm now getting close to finishing and um, uh, how I could uh, lead well and um, and that I should pursue the opportunity to be the CEO of the, of the firm. So um, you've just, uh, you've, you poured into me and you, you've have been, you've been a safe space for 30 some years and uh, I miss you. So tell me, what was most valuable or useful for you in this episode? Send me a message or hit me up on social media. I'm easy to find, but there's links in the show notes just to make it easy. Seriously, I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple things you could do, starting with subscribing to the show. And after that, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show five stars and leave a review. Consider sharing this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. Or just buy me a latte or an old-fashioned by hitting up that tip jar. If you're looking for a good book to read, may I suggest The Lovable Leader, which covers how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. It's built exclusively for brand new managers, and it's a handbook that will serve you well in your journey of leadership. 
Just search for Lovable Leader wherever books are sold online. And finally, if you're interested in working with me or checking out any of my other projects, go to jgibbard.com. That link, as well as every other link mentioned, will be found in the show notes. Stay safe, be kind, and seriously, share this episode with someone. I'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm.